This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Light in the World, and that's from Philippians 2, 12 through 18. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and time rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you consume your podcast, wherever you listen to them. We're there too, whether that's iTunes or Amazon or Spotify or Google. We're there also. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now today we pick back up in Philippians and we're starting in chapter 2 at verse 12. And today we're going to study about sanctification. And it's a process of learning what the Lord has done for us, understanding that, and then walking in that and becoming more like Him. I heard a pastor say one time that it's easy to get saved. It's the sanctification part of it that is tough and hard to work out. And we're going to see that in this part of, of the Bible, in this particular chapter, there is an area that some people take out of context where Paul talks about working out your salvation. And that really means that we follow and we're obedient to the Lord. It doesn't have anything to do about works and being saved by doing good works. Remember, we've studied this. Ephesians tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's that way because less man could boast about it. And because of that, we are saved for good works. If you notice what the Bible says in Ephesians, that the good works follow our salvation. The problem is sometimes we get them mixed up. Now, it was written once that we may have as much of God as we choose. Jesus puts the key to the treasure chest, and he gives it to us in our hand. He tells us that we can take all that we want. I heard a pastor teach on this idea. It's like going into a bank, and the bank opening up the vault and said, take all the money that you want. And if you only come out with a dollar instead of millions of dollars or hundreds and thousands of dollars, then whose fault is it that you're poor? What we've seen is there's a lot of Christians walking around, and that's what Paul is trying to remind the Philippian church, that we need to unlock and take all the riches that God has given us, and we need to walk in that. We need to walk worthy to our salvation and our calling. And so in these simple six or seven verses, Paul is making the case that we need to walk in holiness. We need to learn that we have to live our life out 
And we need to live it because of what God has done for us and what God wants us to do for him. Paul's talked about this as we studied about humility. And the title of that lesson was Humility Like Christ. That we are to walk in unity in the church. And we do that by being humble. Like Christ was humble. Matter of fact, we talked about how do we live like that? How do we live in humility? And I told you to look to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus was God. He was in heaven. And he stepped down out of his deity. He he took everything away and he became man. He stepped down to live in human form. Now, even when he was on earth, we believe that he showed his deity. We talked about the seven I Am series. Jesus said, I am, just like God did when he spoke to Moses back in Exodus. But I also pointed out that Jesus was humble and that he walked in humility and he obeyed the Father. He laid down his will and he went to the cross. Ultimately, being obedient to the Father is what took him to the cross. And because of his obedience and because of his humility, he was restored. And that's how I'll wrap up this introduction. I'll read you verses 9, 10, and 11, which will take us right to verse 12 where we're going to start today. So look at verse 9 real quick with me. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What a beautiful name, Jesus. And God gave him that name, and it is above everything. When we call on the name of Jesus, we have all his riches. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I talked about this is a choice that we make. It's the most important choice you're ever going to make. You're either going to claim Jesus while you're alive here on earth, or there's a day coming at the great white throne of judgment where you're going to confess Jesus is Lord. The problem is then it's too late. See, here, when we accept Jesus as Lord of our life, and when we make him Lord, we understand that we've fallen short and we need him to be able to stand in front of a holy and just God, then we confess him. We confess that he is above everything else. He becomes Lord. But if you don't make that decision, then there's a day coming where you will make that confession, but it'll be too late. You won't be able to be saved. So with that said, let's jump in. Let's start in verse 12. I'll be reading out the ESV. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to the will and to the work for his good pleasure. Now, as I said in the introduction, this is a part of scripture that has been misinterpreted throughout history. And I want you to capture the essence or the idea of what Paul is trying to say here. So let me read verse 12 again. Dear friends, you always follow my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God and deep reverence and fear. Now, we've already studied in the first chapter and even in the beginning of chapter two that Paul was very close to the Philippians. He spent a lot of time with them and he loved them deeply. And they had a great relationship between them and he and he and them. And so he makes an appeal on that very thought. You know, they always listened to him when he was with them, but now he's not with them. And what he taught, they lived. And that's what we need to understand. See, we have to take what the Bible says and we have to put it in our heart and we have to believe it. Because you know what? Dr. Danny Lanier, a good friend of mine, always says you have to 
believe right before you can act right. In other words, we act out our belief. We can say whatever we want to, but if we have Jesus in our heart, we're going to act different than if we are just acting out of our own flesh and our own ideology. But Paul is saying, hey, you always took what I said to heart, and now I can't be there, but this is even more important than it was when I was there. Behave and obey in my absence, the same way that you would if I was there teaching you. And then in the second half of verse 12, he tells them the most misinterpreted part, I think, of Scripture, or one of them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. When you go look at the Greek Right there at that workout, it is work hard to show. In other words, live it out. It's not that you have to work to get, it's to show. The Greek literally in translation means it's better to accomplish or to finish. And it implies having done something with thoroughness. In other words, you're showing or you're finishing what God has done in you. So Paul is saying finish or walk and holiness and work on your holiness or your sanctification, that big word that we love to use in church, instead of not necessarily working out. So Paul is admonishing them. He's telling them to work out your sanctification or holiness. And we know that they're saved because Paul addresses them at the very beginning of this letter in Philippians 1. What does he say in verse 1? Turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseer and the deacons. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm addressing all the saints. Remember that word saints, we looked at it. It means to be separated, to be set apart. That God has saved you and you're now part of the fellowship. Here he's saying he would not have called them saints if they weren't saved. So he's not saying work out your salvation to be saved. We see in verse 1, he says they're already saved. He's saying finish, be sanctified, walk in holiness, walk worthy. And this is a continuation of the first section right here in chapter 2 where he says, you know, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Have the mind of Christ. So if somebody points to this verse, verse 12, and says, see, you have to work out your salvation, you tell them, no, it's not by our works we are saved, but by Jesus. The question you should ask them, do you believe that Jesus didn't finish everything on the cross? Because if I have to work out my salvation to be saved, that means Christ didn't do enough on the cross. See, we believe that Christ did the finished work on the cross. He was a sacrificial lamb, and we believe on that. We make him Lord of our life, and we start being obedient to him. That's when we're saved. We have to repent, and we have to turn. So it's not just enough to believe, but we also have to repent and turn from our sins. And when we start walking in obedience, that's how we become more like Jesus every day. And then you talk about this fear and trembling that he uses. And let's talk about that for a second. Again, that is reverence and trembling is probably a better way. But for the Bible, the imagery that it's saying is fear and trembling is seen as a positive sign. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of submissionness. Remember, we just studied about being humble like Christ and Christ walked in reverence and trembling for the Father, even though he was God in human flesh. And if we're going to be more like him, then we need to walk in humility and submissiveness and and reverence of who God is. 
Now, Paul isn't saying walk around and be scared, but he's saying be reverent. You're saved. Understand what that means and who you represent. When I was growing up, I remember having a conversation with my dad before I was going. I don't remember where I was going now, but I do remember my dad saying, son, remember that you represent the Carter name. And that's what we need to understand that Paul is saying right here is that when we call ourselves Christian, when we tell people that Jesus is Lord of our life and we've been saved, we represent what they see as Christians. We may be the only Bible they ever read. And what do you think they will think about Christ if we're supposed to be like him and he's living in us if we're no different from the world? Another thing you need to remember, too, is now he's talking to a Greek culture. So they didn't, they're not the Jews. Remember we talked about in, in an earlier lesson that there's not more than 10 Jews there or there would be a temple. There was no temple when he came to Philippi. So he's also teaching them about the idea of God's holiness and his righteousness and his goodness and his grace and that we should be in awe. We should be humble to that. We should have an attitude of gratitude. And, but we need to tremble before him in reverence. Not that God is going to be the ant bully and crush us, but that he could if he wanted to. But he's gracious and, he's, and he shows grace and favor on us. And so he's teaching these Greeks a little bit of Jewish ideology and trying to let them see how they should approach God. And then we'll move on, but I want to wrap this last little section up. Look back at verse 13. I want a phrase I want to point out real quick. For it is God who works in you both to the will and to the work for his good pleasure. I want you to catch that last part, both to the will and to the work for his good pleasure. See, the only way sanctification really happens is through the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. And it is through both his power and his will that we become more like Christ as we live. We might say, Tim, if that's the case, then... What do I have to do with this? Why doesn't he just make me sanctified? Well, God did. He gave you everything. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Did you catch that? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that means God chose you. He picked you before the world was ever formed, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So again, God has given us everything we need, every spiritual blessing that we need. And he picked us and he saw us that we are going to walk in obedience and wholeness. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that when we walk with him inside of us. But when I teach this, I've had folks say this before. Well, because God is in me and he is working his will in me and I have all that he's given me, then there's really nothing for me to do. But the truth is this, because God is working in you, you now have the ability to become a better and more sanctified version of you to look more like Christ, free from the fear of what happens when you fall. But ultimately, God gave you the choice, and we have to choose to die daily and walk daily with the Spirit guiding us, which now takes us to verse 14. I'm going to read 14 through 18, and then we'll wrap this thing up. 
Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without a blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is telling them, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to work out your salvation, then you have to do it without complaining and arguing. That is a sign of humility that he talked about in the first 11 verses. Did Jesus complain? Go through the whole gospel. You will not find Jesus arguing and complaining. Matter of fact, you go look at God's people. This is an area that we need to work on and we need the Holy Spirit to help us because it's what made the Israelites have to wander in the desert for 40 years till that generation was gone. It was because of their arguing and their complaining to God and about God. And here, what he is really tying this back to is the unity. See, if we are unified then the world will know that we are a follower of Jesus by our love and how we get along with one another. But if we complain and we argue, then we're divided and we do damage to the kingdom. We do damage to Jesus' name. And I apologize to all my note takers, but what I want you to see from my outline is we have to work out our salvation. We've talked about that. We spent a bunch of time on that. And now he's saying, how do we work out our salvation? The first one is we don't complain. Second is we live a blameless and pure life. And if we want the world to believe what they see, then we have to live a life of obedience and we have to live a life different from them. And that's what he says. He says that you should prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God. To put that in 21st century language, what he is saying is that you need to get your house in order. You need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. My guess is that Paul has heard that in Philippi, they're complaining and they're arguing and they're fighting. And as a result, they're not without fault. They're not shining lights to the world. They're not shining a light to the community and to those around them. But he's also telling them to get their house in order so that God's purpose for them can be fulfilled through them. And we need to understand that as well. When we try to do it our own way, whose will are we doing? See, God has a purpose and a will for you. And when we become humble and when we start being led by the Holy Spirit and we make a decision to die to ourselves, we live out God's purpose for us and for those around us. And as we do that, we start shining a light and we shine that light to the world around us that's filled with brokenness and filled with hurt and pain and sin. And we are supposed to be that light. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is telling them that if the light in you is not shining, then the darkness is even darker. So we have to move on. So we've looked at don't complain or argue, live a blameless and pure life so that our light shines and we are to shine like stars is what he says. A lighthouse shines so that ships know where it is safe to go and where there is not safe passage. If we're dark, just like the world is dark, if we don't have a light in our lighthouse, then how will the world know how they're supposed to live? How will they see something different and turn to Jesus? Because we are not offering or they don't see anything different than what they already are offered today from the world. And then he says, hold fast to the word. 
Paul is telling them, hold fast to what you've been taught. You know, if you were getting this letter, it would, in modern day language, say, hey, read your Bible more. If you want to follow Jesus and look more like Jesus, keep reading your Bible. Chase after Jesus and do what it says. Paul loved the Philippians and he was close to them, but he may have been frustrated by these issues that I said may be coming. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that they had these issues, but he points out some things that they need to stop doing if they're doing. He put a lot of time and energy in this church. And so I can understand that he would want them to live differently than what he may have heard that they were doing. But then Paul finishes up doing what he does best after he's kind of cut to the bone Then he puts something on there so it doesn't sting so bad. And he finishes up in verse 17 with saying that he will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a drink offering to God. I want you to enjoy and share your joy just like I'm willing to share my joys. I rejoice and I will share my joy. Why don't you do that? Paul makes it real. He says, hey, I may lose my life, but I'm okay with that. I still share my joy no matter what circumstance I'm in. If you want the world to take notice of your life, you have to be able to share your joy no matter what your circumstances are. Whether it's a financial problem, whether it's a sickness, whether it's an emotional, maybe a loved one, maybe a spouse, maybe a child that's creating havoc. Through all that, how you respond, the world is watching. And watch children that play together. They learn things If you have more than one child, guess what? Typically, the second child picks things up faster because they learn and they watch their brother or sister. What Paul is saying here is share your joy, just like I share the joy. Whether I'm spilled out like a drink offering, whether I have to give up my life, I don't care. I'm going to rejoice and share my joy, and you should do likewise. I'm going to share it with you, and you share it with me. So as I'm running out of time, I think it's clear what Paul meant for the church at Philippi, the Philippians. Paul didn't leave any room for doubt. What we can do, what does all this really mean for us today? How do we let our shine to a world around us? Well, first we let our light shine by becoming more like Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a word that we hear in church, but it's really not talked about a lot. See, we focus on the fact that people get saved, but we never really teach them what to do after they're saved. And that is that we live a life, we get into the Word, and we start obeying what it teaches us. Even in Romans 6, 1, it asks the question, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more grace? And then in verse 2, it says, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Well, the problem is, until we get in God's Word and we start listening to the Holy Spirit, How are we going to properly share our light? And that is by obedience. That sanctification means that we start doing what the Bible says. Some of you are going to tell me, well, Tim, I live by grace. I don't have to do what the Bible says. Well, that's funny because Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. Now, Jesus is the very reason we have grace. So to say you can live however you want, you need to go check your salvation. And I'll just leave it there. I'm not saying whether you're saved or not, but you need to go work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul is teaching them, the church at Philippi, that we have to learn to be sanctified, that we're never going to get that right. It was easy to get saved, but now we got to work through this process of becoming more like Christ every day. And we do that by obeying the word, by not complaining, not by arguing. We also do that by shining our light to others, that we 
respond differently. We act differently. We have peace with one another. We share love. And when we walk in the Holy Spirit, we begin to see these traits that Paul's talking about come out in our life. We see the fruits of the Spirit that we talked about in Galatians 5. So to wrap this thing up today, that if we want to let our light shine to the world around us, if we want to make a difference to a hurting and broken world, a world that is full of darkness, then we have to be a light. And we can't look like the world. We need to be made holy. We need to reflect Jesus in our life. And we need to grow in that every day as the Lord starts to talk to us about that. As we become aware of something, we need to work on that part. We need to yield that to the Father because sometimes we don't know, but as God shows that to us. And what you'll find is this is a process, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, this is a process we all go through. We're never going to be fully sanctified. None of us were Jesus Christ. The only time we're going to be made fully like him is when we go to be with him. And until then, we should be striving to be more and more like him every single day. I mean, this is a goal of mine. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I'm going to make mistakes, but I don't willingly choose to make that mistake. Even Paul, who's sitting here talking about sanctification in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I don't understand what I do for what I do. I do not want to do. I hate what I do sometimes. See, what Paul is saying is that there is sin in me, and if I'm not careful, that sin will come out. I do the things because of my sinful nature. But what do we do when that happens? Paul tells us that we ask for forgiveness, we repent of it, and we ask God to help us with it. We turn it and lay it at his feet. The question for you today is how much of God do you want to choose? I started off telling you about if we go into a bank, And they give us the opportunity to take as much money as we want. We come out with only a dollar. Whose fault is that? See, God has given us everything we need. We looked at that in Ephesians. We've gotten every spiritual blessing we need, and it's left up to us what we choose. God is offering us so much more than just that dollar. He wants to bless us, and he wants to work in us so that we can be a light that shines to the world. So will you let him do that? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you that you inspired Paul to teach this church through a letter about how to be more like you, how to be a light to the world, how to work out our salvation, how to finish well. And how do we do that, Lord? Paul told them that they needed to do it without complaining and arguing. They needed to strive to live a blameless and pure life and that they should shine like stars that they should hold fast to what they have been taught. Lord, I pray today that we would have that same heart, that we would want to understand how can we be more like you every day. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, and we thank you for the grace that you, that you gave your son to die on the cross so that we can be saved. But Lord, it's more than that. Lord, we want to walk out of the bank with more money than just a dollar. Lord, we just ask now that those that are listening, Maybe one showed up today that has gotten across the line. They've, they've asked you to be Lord of their life, but they stopped there. And Lord, you've called us to be more. You've, taught, you've called us to be disciples and to lead others. And, and Lord, they're, they're, they're not comfortable with that. Lord, I pray today you would help them to work out their salvation so that they finish well to what you called them to be. Lord, maybe there's one today that showed up that has not responded right. 
maybe to a sickness or to a financial situation or an emotional situation, whatever it is, Lord, I pray today, Lord, they'll lay it at your feet and that they will turn it over to you and, and follow after you and be obedient towards you. Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't know you. Lord, maybe there's one that's never made you Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would believe on your finished work on the cross. Lord, that they don't have to work to be saved. It's not works that they don't have to be good enough. They don't have to clean themselves up. They just come to you and ask you to be Lord of the life. They say, Jesus, I'm lost. I need you. Without you, I'm going to stand before you one day and have to admit that you are the name above all names, that you're the one true living God. And I want to do that now. I want you to be my savior. Lord, I pray that they would believe on that and they would ask that. And then Lord, that they would turn and they would start chasing after you. Lord, that they would start working on their sanctification. They'll start working to be more like you every day. Lord, I thank you for all your many blessings, Lord. I thank you what you do for this radio station, Lord. I pray right now, everyone listening, a blessing over them, Lord, that you would bless them this week. Lord, we just thank you, and it's in your name we ask this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.